Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We thank you for the chance to just sing your praise, to see who, who you are and how much you love us. Lord, we ask that you guide and lead all that's said, and, and we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 5 just to give us context because we read that last week. And um, we're kind of in the middle of a sentence here. Paul is very famous for writing what we call in English and they did in Greek at the same time, run-on sentences. Uh, and this sentence that he starts on this in, in this uh, Ephesians 1 starts in verse 3 and it ends in verse 12. Uh, and it has a whole lot of colons and semicolons and commas and any English teacher reading this would have said, Paul, rewrite this. <laughs> Uh, and uh, in his day, they would have done the same thing to him. <laughs> Paul, rewrite that. That's way too long a sentence. So, But uh, we want to look at this and starting at verse 5. Having predestined us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has accepted us in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein is he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And we're going to stop there because I just want to look at this. The book of Ephesians is a book full of uh, the idea of grace. And grace is one of those terms that we as Christians usually think we know what it means. Uh, you know, and we talked a little bit about this just a couple weeks ago. You know, the, the first thing we usually think of when we uh, say, you know, the word grace might be the person is, has grace. They're graceful. They're, they, they have uh, easy ease of movement and draw attention. In a Christian family, sometimes you might think of grace. The first thing you think of is the prayer before your meal. <laughs> you know, and those are all great things, but that is not what we want to talk about. Grace is such a powerful word for us as Christians. You know, we talked about this before, the acronym, Christ riches, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, and that's a very powerful view of grace, because it is, we get everything that God has, and Jesus paid for it. You know, grace is a very powerful word. Simple definition that I've taught over and over is getting what we don't deserve getting what we don't deserve. Think about all that we have, and this, Paul's going to start on the picture of grace here that is so wonderful to think about. Getting what we don't deserve. How many times has somebody done something to you and the very first thought is that fleshless thought of, I just can't wait till they get what they deserve. <laughs> now, they just, you know, they deserve this and God is, God is going to give it to them and we're looking forward, I'm looking forward to it. That's the exact opposite of grace. <laughs> Okay, um, in the movie clip that you saw where she's saying, you know, you need to learn to fight the right enemy. I love that term. That's one of the taglines on this movie, learn to fight the right enemy. How many times do we as Christians fight the wrong enemy? Now, this movie's talking about fighting, you know, she's fighting her husband, he's fighting her. You know, we fight our kids because they don't do what we want what we think they should be doing. 
And every time we're on the, on the telephone with them, or, oh, you know, well, when are you going to get your life right? When are you going to do this? And, you know, and rightfully, the kids get to the place where they don't want to talk to us. Because <laughs> you know, the last thing you want to be told is your life is screwed up and, and get, your, get it all put together. <laughs> because they know that it's all messed up. <laughs> and it needs to be put together. They just don't know how to do it. They need to be loved. We, when we're, when we're in sin, don't need to be told, you're messing up, you know, get, get right. If we're a good Christian, we know we're messing up <laughs> and we need to get right. We're just, we either have forgotten how to do it or we haven't gone down far enough yet that we want to say, I'm ready to give up. And so grace is something we need to learn. We need to learn to give ourselves grace first. You know, be able to say we deserve, that we're going to get more than we deserve. This is all of what Christianity is all about. We are sinners. We deserve hell. Plain and simple. Praise God, we don't get what we deserve. That's mercy. God shows us mercy and says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. But even more importantly, he gives us all of himself. Have you thought about that? Last week we talked a little bit about adoption. He has adopted us into his family. Does that resonate with you the way it does with me? Being adopted into the very family of God. He chose us to be part of his family. And everything that being part of a family of the richest person that's ever existed is, is ours. Everything. Jesus paid for the debt of our sin. He paid for all that sin involved. You know, we, usually when we think about sin, we think about the death. You know, God said that the day you eat it, you will die. And they started dying from the day they ate it, but they also died spiritually the day they ate it. Mm-hmm. But you think about all the other things that happened because of it. Sicknesses, diseases, thorns, the weeds that would grow up to make the crops harder to grow, you know, pain, suffering, disobedience from our kids, <laughs> disobedience to our parents. <laughs> you know, all that went on, on the, because of sin, Jesus paid for that so that we could have the riches of God. Grace. Grace is the most powerful thing that we can do. If we can learn to give grace to one another, what changes would there be in this world? What changes would there be? If we start realizing that the enemy is not our, our spouse, our kids, but it is Satan who is trying to get in and destroy those areas, and start aiming our prayer at the right target, you know, this movie War Room was all about aiming at the right target, having a strategy. You know, you could have the best army in the world, but if you were fighting the wrong place, you could lose the war. You know, I'm going to send you over here to fight these people that aren't even combatants while the army comes in from the other side and takes me out. We as Christians so often are fighting the wrong, wrong battles. We are fighting the wrong battles. And we need to understand that. And we want to look at this. He says in verse 6, 
to the praise and glory of his grace. I want you to really start understanding this. I, I entitled this sermon, God's Greater Grace. <laughs> and, you know, I want, to th I want you to think about that. You know, every, if you heard the, t the, the statement WWJD, you automatically know that that means what would Jesus do? I'd like you to get to the place where you're thinking in t times GGG, God's greater grace. When somebody's irritating you, start thinking God's greater grace. Because it's not that person that's irritating you in reality. It's Satan trying to get you out of the joy of your salvation and uh, from looking at God. When you're in the middle of a temptation, it's not the person tempting you or yourself tempting you that's the real problem. It's Satan that's involved in this temptation. When you're in a battle for anything, you want to be thinking about God's grace. We're told, submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from us. First step, of course, is resisting the, you know, uh, submitting to God. We need to submit to God and his grace. God's perfect grace. It is amazing to me, his grace. Jesus paid the debt so that we could have fellowship with God. That to me is an amazing thing. The God of the universe, the perfect God, the just God wants to have fellowship with us and paid the price for us to do that. He tells us that he sees us as perfect. We are justified, we are, we are declared perfect. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It gives us power to understand that God doesn't see our faults. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God's greater grace that's out there. That says, I see you perfect. Does he know that we're not perfect? Of course he knows we're not perfect, but Jesus paid the penalty. He put it under the blood and he says, I've declared you perfect. We need to glory in that grace. We need to be so looking forward to that grace. And then he goes on to say, wherein he has made us acceptable in the beloved. Do you love that, that idea? He has made us acceptable. Yeah. He's made us acceptable. No longer does he look down on us and say, Wow, those people are dressed badly, they're terrible, they deserve punishment, but he says, in the beloved, because of his grace, we are accepted. We are accepted. Have you ever been someplace where you weren't accepted? <laughs> Don't answer that necessarily. It's probably true that everybody has. Or that you were the oddball, the old one, when you weren't quite dressed right? You know, you, you, I've had that happen sometimes in work events where, where the, the dress was extremely well well-dressed. I even went to one where they made us get tuxedos to go to. You know, uh, you know, for an awards banquet and everything. First time I'd ever worn a tuxedo. <laughs> so, but you know the idea that God says because of his grace, because of what Jesus has done, he makes us acceptable in his presence. We are accepted in the beloved. In Jesus Christ, we're accepted. That's powerful. This is God's grace. 
This is his grace. He says, I'm making you accepted. I'm making you a child. And along with that, I'm giving you all the spiritual blessings. It is amazing the things that he has done for us. We just got done doing the 51 things that happened at the moment of salvation because of grace. And if you don't have that list, let me know, and I will get it to you, because I think it's important for everybody to know, know that list. What has God done for us? All that he's done for us is so special. And what did we do to do it, get it to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. We did nothing to deserve his grace. And we've got to understand, we do nothing to deserve his grace. Because if we could have done something to deserve it, then Jesus wouldn't have had to have died. Our sin says that we deserve punishment. And his grace says, I've got a gift for you. I've got a gift. What is that gift? All of God. It's powerful. God's grace is powerful. When we start thinking about it, it is so powerful. And it says, in whom we have redemption through the blood. Redemption is a very powerful word. It means that he has bought us back. Most people in this room are probably old enough to remember the old S&H green stamps or the plaid stamps or there's a whole group of the, the stamps where you'd go shopping and they'd give you an equivalent number of stamps. You stuck them in books and after a while you got enough books and you would go to a redemption center and redeem these worthless stamps of books for something. <laughs> and usually, usually the somethings weren't the best something in the world, but still you got something for... <laughs> The, the, you know, something for these books that you collected. Well, we have been redeemed. We were thrown into the slave, slave, slavery of sin, and Jesus died and says, I am paying the price to redeem you. Why did God think that we were so precious that it would take the cost of his blood? I can't answer that. You know, it makes no sense to me. And I don't think it makes sense to anybody, real sense to anybody, that God would give his life for a bunch of worthless sinners that, that, that had rebelled against him. I you know, most of us wouldn't. Most of us wouldn't even do it for the ones that we think are good people, much less the, the ones that we think are bad people. And yet God looks at it and says, we're all, all sinners, all deserving of hell, all bad in his eyes, and yet Jesus died for us so that he could redeem us. So that he could say, I have paid the price. I want them back. I want them back. And that to me is an amazing thought. Because I know that I, I don't deserve that. Everyone in here in this room probably knows they don't deserve it. Some more than others. But even the best person you can think of didn't deserve Jesus dying for them so that they could be redeemed. Now, you might think, you know, whoever the best person, whether, you know, a lot of people name Mother Teresa, you know, she gave her... Gave her whole heart and being to the, to the poor. She didn't deserve to deserve heaven, even with all of that. She didn't deserve redemption. And yet, by God's grace, he brought redemption. And he brings redemption to the most worthless sinner that you can think of. You know, it's open to them. You know, for us, we might think of Adolf Hitler. You know, now, did Hitler ever accept Jesus Christ? Not by any biography I ever read. But you know what? If in the bunker just before he pulled that trigger, he asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins, you know where he's at? Heaven. Why? Because it's grace. 
that's hard to that's hard to even accept. A person who could kill millions of people could be in heaven because it's all by grace. And I've had people tell me, well, if that's true, then I don't want to go to I don't want to be around a God like that. Well, that's fine. Go spend time hell with the people like that. It doesn't, you know. You know, most of the people like that are going to be in hell. Go spend time with them if that's what you really want. But God's grace. When you hear a statement like that, that basically tells me this person doesn't think they're really bad in the first place. Now, I deserve heaven, and I don't deserve to be there with anybody who's there because of God's grace. And you know, we hear that over and over. When you share the gospel with somebody, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, I just hope that I do more good than bad, and that God will let me in. Well, sorry, your, your bad outweighs your good no matter what it is. You could be every part of your life good and one bad, and it's going to outweigh the, outweigh the good being, if that's your scale. And you'll deserve hell. People have to understand. God is not grading on a curve. He's not saying, well, you're better than you know, whatever percentage of the people he's going to, you know, you know, you're better than 80% of the people. We're only taking the top 20%. <laughs> you know, God doesn't grade like that. And thank God he doesn't grade like that. Because I know I probably wouldn't make it if that was his grading scale. I am there because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his free gift. Because sin's wages is death. And God says, I've redeemed you. I have redeemed you. And he goes on, and it's through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of sin. God has forgiven us sin. It was under the blood because of his grace. We just have to accept that gift. There will be one reason people go to hell, and that is because they reject Jesus Christ. It's not because they have a preponderance of sin more than good. It's not, not because they you know, are a really terrible person. You know, hell is going to be filled with a lot of good people. A lot of good people are going to go to hell because they've rejected Jesus Christ. And we're going to see a lot of people in heaven that, that were, we would have considered bad people because at some point in their life they accepted Jesus Christ. And there's the old joke out there that we're going to be, two things are going to surprise us in heaven. The people who aren't there and the people who are there. Because we're going around, we may go around looking for some of the people that we went to church with all our life thinking that they were a Christian and they were pretty good people and we're not going to find them because they never accepted Jesus Christ. And we're going to see people that we were seeing on the street, you know, being bad and doing crazy things in heaven because at some point they really asked Jesus into their heart. Does that mean that we just get saved and go do bad things? No. <laughs> you know, but if we do, God's grace still covers it. Because if he indwells us, we're going to have great desire to serve him. I serve God, I do good, not because I want to please God, but because he is in me, working out of me. And my desires change. Who I am changes as he changes me. He crucifies my flesh and he becomes living more and more out of me and I become more and more like him. And the more I become like him, the more good I will do because I am becoming like him. Not because I am saying I've got to beat myself into submission and do good things. That's not going to be what gets us any reward. 
I can't beat my flesh into submission. My flesh will always keep coming back. It has to be killed. It has to be crucified. And only God will do that to us. He is the one that will give us the chance of victory. He is the one that will give us the opportunity to come to him. Because he died for us. He is the gift he holds out. What, do you, what have you done with that gift? Have you accepted it? Have you not accepted it? Are you still working on trying to be a good person? Or are you saying, I need God? It's all grace. It's all grace. When you know that you're saved, you know that you're saved. It's not a question of, are, am I saved? Because you will know that you have God in you. And it's time for most people to step, step up and say, God, I'm going to take myself off the throne of my heart and put you on, on throne of my heart and let you be my Lord. It's a big difference when he's there as Lord. I know a lot of people who, I don't doubt that they're a Christian, but they have God kind of tucked away in a closet. You know, uh, you just stay over there, God. You know, go stand in the corner, and when I need you, I'll have you come over here and help me. But until then, I've got it. <laughs> Now, I'm not too sure that some of those people are even saved, but, I mean, that mentality is out there. You know, God, you just stay over there, and when I need you, I'll kind of call you over here. And he's saying, no, I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. When I first got saved, I got shown uh, this picture of a, a steam engine, a coal cart, and a caboose. And they named the caboose uh, a faith, a fact, faith, and feeling. And they go, you can't take feelings, the caboose, and put it in the front and expect to go anywhere. You know, and we, we base so much of our life on feelings. I feel really good today, so I must be saved and everything's okay with God. I feel terrible today. I'm not, you know, I'm miserable, I'm depressed, you know, where's God? God's where he said he was going to be in our life. Whether I feel he's there or not, he is there. I mean, you know, same thing happens in marriages. Well, we no longer feel like we're in love, so therefore we're just going to you know, destroy this thing because they put feelings in front of facts and, and faith. God has made statements of fact. The Word of God. We get into the Word of God, we have fact. We need to put our life on the facts of God. Jesus said, I have died for your sins. I have covered your sins. I have forgiven your sins. I have declared that you are perfect. When Satan comes around and says, well, you're just a terrible, miserable, awful sinner. You know, he's telling us the truth. We are. But there's some facts that he needs to be made aware of, isn't there? Yes, Satan, I am a terrible, awful, miserable sinner. But God's blood has covered my sin. I am perfect in his sight, and I am his child. I'm going to heaven. You're not, the one, you're not the one that's going to be able to stop me. We need to remember the facts. Forget the, forget the truth. Forget the truth that he's going to give you. Satan is going to accuse us of being terrible. And we are. We are. In our flesh, we are terrible. But we are a new creation made in Christ's image that says, I am going to bring you along. I am going to give you victory. He is our joy. Satan lies to us and takes, steals our joy because we listen to his lies. We listen to his lies all the time and he'll steal our joy. We listen to his lies and we will 
attack people that we shouldn't be attacking because they're just, because we should be loving them, because we're listening to his lies. We're listening to the lies of Satan that, that takes something innocent that somebody says and twists it and turns it into this big, ugly thing. And we've probably all been there. Maybe we've even been the one who said something innocent. That, and then we're wondering why this person seemed to be mad at us for, for weeks, months, years, <laughs> decades. You know, and it's because what we said got all twisted around and, and motives were added to the words. And, and you know, they got mad at us. Maybe we've been the one that's done it. Somebody said, well, how are you doing today? And, and we're going, what do they mean by that? You know, did they know what I did last night? They must know what they did last night. You know, the, you know, well, why are they asking me about this? You know, and, and we get all paranoid, and then we start adding all these motives behind a very innocent statement, and then we're mad at them. <laughs> and they're like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I say? Because the lies were listened to. Even if it's truth, it's still lies because the facts are that we're to love that person. We're to build them up. We're to edify them. We need to start listening to the facts of God, listening to the Holy Spirit in our ministry to people, and living in the truth. Living in God's truth that will set us free, and we will have our joy. How many of you have ever made yourself miserable because you, were, you woke up, you're feeling pretty good, and then you started thinking about all the bad things that happened to you the day before? The day before, <laughs> and you just pass them on to this day and add to them, and you get up the next morning, you're feeling pretty good, and you start thinking about what's happened the last two days. <laughs> and, and you keep doing that, and now you're looking at what's happened for a decade. And you're going, you're missing, you're making your current life miserable in the lies of the past. God loves you. <laughs> He sent his son to die for you. He sent Jesus so that your sins will be forgiven and forgotten. And he did it for everybody else around you. How can we as Christians treat each other with love and compassion and mercy? We start concentrating on the truth. You know, I'm a terrible, miserable person, but God has, God has forgiven me. Most likely, the person that I'm talking to is a terrible, miserable, rotten sinner, but God has forgiven them. If I can concentrate on the fact that God has forgiven them just like he's forgiven me, I'm going to change the way I deal with them. I'm going to be able to be kind to them. I'm going to make them wonder what's wrong with me because I'm being kind to them. You know, and this is a very powerful thing. Have you ever had somebody be kind to you for no reason and you're wondering what's going on and why are they being kind to me that way? <laughs> they're showing you God's love usually. Now if they're of the world, they're trying to get something from you. you you know, but for a Christian showing God's love, we're just showing his love. We're not trying to manipulate somebody to get something from them. We're trying to just show them God's love. If we as Christians could live that way every day, what kind of changes would we make in this world? What kind of changes would we see in people's lives who are being treated with God's loving kindness and his mercy and his grace? How many of our non-Christian friends would respond to that kind of love? That kind of love, and they'd look at us like, you're being very different. I don't understand this. Jesus said, they will know you are my followers by your love, one for another. 
that love that we have for each other, the love we have for the world. Why have Christians gone out and started hospitals? Why have Christians gone out and started orphanages? Why have Christians gone out to the plague-ridden cities of their, of their days and ministered to people? Because they were revealing God's love when the rest of the world would have nothing to do with those people. We have that opportunity to show God's love. We need to pray, God, give me the grace to show that kind of love. Help me to understand grace. Help me to understand grace and follow through with it. There's all kinds of, you can all think of different examples where you've had grace applied to your life, I hope, where somebody that you know should have treated you miserably and, and, and poorly has treated you with love and respect, that has lifted you up. And when you know that you've been doing bad things, you were wrong, you were, you were, you were a sinner, you knew you were, and you, and you got loved anyway. God is expecting us to do the same thing one for another. Go out and love one another. Care for one another. Not for, any, not for anything we're going to get from somebody else, but just to show God's love to them. And I guess in one thing, we, you know, my goal is always to get them to accept Jesus Christ and walk more in Him, so I guess I do want something. But the something I want for them is going to be something that's going to make their life so much better in the long run that I don't even think of it as being wanting something for me as something for them. If somebody can truly follow Christ and make, turn their life over, live in the power of the crucified flesh that God has for you, it is a wonderful thing. It is a great thing to see the power of God work and lift us up. And I just want to encourage everybody. We're going to close in prayer. and I just want you to really seek God. Ask Him to help you understand grace. Ask Him to help you show more grace to others. And also ask him to help you fight the right fight with, the, with Satan, not, not, with our, not with other people. Because that is our real enemy. Our real enemy is a spiritual war that we are involved in. Our enemy is Satan and his demonic forces. It's not the people that he uses to get after us. It's not the people he uses to get under our skin. The real enemy is the satanic forces. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you show us more and more your grace. More and more that we will understand that your grace is greater than anything that we can imagine. And that whatever we think grace is, it's more. That you have great riches for us, great spiritual blessings for us. All of heavenly being and presence is available to us. Lord, help us to show grace to others. Help us to show that love to others. Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, we ask that you come into their heart now. You, they will admit that they are a sinner, that they deserve punishment, and that they will accept that you paid that price and ask you to come and dwell in them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.